0: Hey guys, it's story time with the Historist, Mr. Boring and Jen Dumas here. And today, Jen, you're going to take us to the part of the world that you love the most. And I can already see the smile on your face is ear to ear. And it's, uh, you know, another stop on our pain train tour of the 20th century. Today, we're going to be in... China.
1: Super excited today. Um, As my students know, and you know as well, China is my favorite thing to talk about. I could talk about China from, you know, I don't know, 24-7 if I could. People don't want to hear it 24-7. I think they might if you told the story. mm, I don't know. I think they would pretty much tune me out outside (laughs) of five minutes, but you're forced to listen to it now.
0: All right. So setting the stage up for China, we've, uh, we've had a lot of really positive uplifting things occur. There was the <laughs> opium war, and yeah, that, that worked out well for everybody and definitely wasn't one of the worst things people could do to each other. And then we had a whole series of rebellions in China, and I think th- those worked out really well, especially for the peasants. And there wasn't, like, you know, millions of people who died because of those uh, 1850s and 60s rebellions. And uh, so here we are at the 20th century, and everything's good, right?
1: Yeah, it really is for China. Things are really starting to look up, said no one ever. (laughs) Um, It's called the century of humiliation for a reason, and it does start start, uh, with the opium wars, which, you know, I get where Britain was coming from, right? Like, stop being so ethnocentric and xenophobic, China. Um, But... In all actuality, it's just horrible. You do not get a nation addicted to drugs as a way to end a trade imbalance. I think that's not okay. So at the beginning of the 20th century, China is in a world of hurt. They, just, they have lost their identity. They have lost their sense of superiority. We had epic-level failure with the Boxer Rebellion, which only weakened the Qing dynasty. And I think at that point, a lot of Chinese citizens... Were they understood that something had to change, that they could not keep going the traditional ways and think that the outcome would be different?
0: Oh, that's and that's important because that that type of self doubt is not China. That's, oh, not at all. Yeah, that's not been them for two thousand years. I mean, yeah. we picked up r- roughly around what twelve fifty CE mm-hmm. was when we started this thing. And what what some of our listeners not, might not realize is that there's this unbroken line of Chinese culture and tradition extending way past the horizon historically Mm -hmm. back to the beginning of humanity if you listen to the way some of the chinese scholars tell it this is a really big deal
1: yeah it is because i mean china just always assumed they were going to have a dynasty that's just the way it always you know, had been and always would be. But in 1911, what happens is it's pretty clear the people have had enough. The Qing dynasty has not been able to solve the problems that were created after the failures of the opium wars. And they decide that they've got to take a new path, that China's got to forge a new path. And it's going to be based more on Western ideals, the idea of we need a modern education system. Uh, We need a more democratic form of government because at that time, the nations who were succeeding, that's what they were following. And, And China, I think, was taking... The approach japan took with the well, Meiji restoration say, this,
0: uh, this sounds like a uh, familiar story that we've we've told before so okay so that we've, we've got a, a blueprint that they right. think they can follow okay
1: and so there is a revolution in 1911 and it's led by this guy named sun yat sen and sun yat sen has been out of china for a while he is western educated um he has had far more exposure to Westerners than he has necessarily his own Chinese citizens. Okay, that's another big one. Yep. Okay. And so then he comes back to China and leads this revolution. And the whole purpose of the revolution was to modernize China and make it strong in the face of so many epic level defeats that they've had in the last part of the 19th century. And the whole goal was pretty simple. We need a more democratic form of government. Makes sense. We have got to do something to get land back to the peasants.
0: Okay, yeah. You, when you have like roughly what you know, 200 million? ish yeah. people 300 million ish people potentially if you starts thinking about the region yeah you got to keep those people happy
1: yeah and 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 then they've got to they've got to get education because it was mm-hmm. the lack of education and the lack of technology that really doomed them during the opium wars and but you, uh, Sun Yat Sen knows he can't do this by himself. He has no resources other than basically his intellect and probably the support of millions of people. But that doesn't mean the revol- the revolution's going to be successful. So we enlists the uh, help of this guy Yuan Shikai. Okay. I call him Pillsbury Doughboy. Look Why lo- does he... look him up and you'll see. He, he swear know. he looks just it's like, like
0: full him. Full of jelly, like he's a little Bismarck.
1: He is way bigger than a little Bismarck. Like oh. You got to seriously. All right, you gotta we'll seriously look we'll, at it. We'll
0: pull him up here on the phone here in a second check him out.
1: And Yuan Shikai was the general of the Qing military. And so uh Sun Yat-sen goes to Yuan Shikai and says, "Hey, we need your help." And Yuan Shikai is like, yeah, fine, I will use the military to overthrow the Qing dynasty, make them abdicate the throne. But in return, once the revolution is successful, I want to be made president of this new China.
0: All right. So there's, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm one of our listeners, I'm thinking like this has got some mandate of heaven flavor to it. A little bit. A little bit? A little bit. So should we be making that connection or should we hard break from the past?
1: This is a pretty hard break from the past right now.
0: All right. So you hear that, listener? Snap. not the mandate of heaven that is jen du cracking an egg of knowledge on your head and what's running down is a new china
1: i'm sensing a change your continuity question miss Ooh, i like it <laughs> so um yuan shikai and sun yet sen are able to make the Qing abdicate the throne and they overthrow and so yuan shikai becomes president and the whole idea is he's gonna you know lead this new democratically elected government and people are going to be educated and they're going to participate and vote That is what Sun Yat sen thought was going to happen. That is not what Yuan Shikai actually meant. He just became another dictator.
0: So China doesn't catch a break and the century of humiliation continues. It will continue. Oh, great.
1: And Yuan Shikai thought, with the help of his military and, you know, because he was buddy buddy with some of the warlords, that he was just going to be able to take power and people were going to do what he wanted them to do. And I don't think he understood the amount of anger and discontent among the Chinese people okay even 70 you know 70 years after right. the opium wars like they were not going back to the old ways of china they they weren't and so yuan shikai doesn't stay in power long which, on one aspect, you're like, "Ooh, way to yeah, go, yeah, way to get rid of the dictator," but all it does is lead to political chaos There's in China.
0: Just another, and, and we've seen this in some of the other areas that we've talked about, wh- like the French Revolution, really comes to mind. Right. when we start thinking about um, uh, the 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 Reign of Terror, and when you have this power vacuum, what fills that in? oftentimes is way worse than what was there before
1: right and then um and so that's what ends up happening is you've got some political chaos you've got people factioning into get different groups you've got loyalists who still support the old chinese ways who want power you've got nationalists who believe in a more modern democratic china okay and then you've got another group coming in because of some events in another Uh, eastern nation
0: okay i think i know who this is going to be
1: so you have the rise of communism in china
0: Comrade commies. You know it. Right. Um, totally
1: influenced by the success of the 1917 revolution in Russia. And so these communists, led by this guy named Mao Zedong, have a very different opinion of what a future China should look like. And so for a good 10 years, these groups are fighting with each other over who's going to control the fate of China now in 1928 there is a group that comes out on top because and this is total this is like Mandate of Heaven stuff right so this guy named Chiang Kai-shek along with his nationalists comes to power in 1928 and Chiang Kai-shek is a student of Sun Yat-sen so he's all about land reform and democratically elected governments and social reform and education so it's we're kinda back on track with the revolutionary goals
0: so we had three and now we're down to two. So right. the loyalists seem to be out. Yep, they're right? They got knocked out. And so we've got the nationalists, and they seem to be on top right now. And then we've got the communists who are trying to disrupt and get in there because of all that, shh, 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 that's air quotes. If you, oh, you it's, nice. it's just not a visual medium. Yeah, nice. The success of the Russian revolution.
1: Right. And so, um, and I think, and again, I don't know, but I think had Chiang Kai-shek been given time to develop the reform program and to continue to... Uh, implement the educational programs and actually start the democratic process I think he would have been successful okay but just as Stalin we see in the late 1930s starts to realize the error of his ways and maybe goes more towards helping the people of his country when a major world war breaks out Mm. we kind of see the same thing happen in China because in the early 1930s Japan invades China
0: which is one of the worst events in human history. Oh also, without a doubt. Yay, a oh, I more. see we're back on the <laughs> depression dream. <laughs> it only
1: took five seconds. <laughs> um, and so he never got that chance because w- and, and we'll get into this in, in future podcasts but Japan invades China for a reason. They want resources to continue right. their industrial production the same way Britain went into India. Same right. exact same, thing. Mo- same right. model. Yeah. And uh, Japan commits some horrible 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 atrocities Yeah, Nanking the rape oh, and yeah. rape
0: is one of the worst uh, we I mean we just finished up a previous podcast about battlefields in World War 1 and this is the Nanking wouldn't have been out of place.
1: Yeah and I, I actually think battles like Nanking were actually even worse because this was committed against civilians. civilians. These were not soldiers. That's
0: a good point to be made. And, yeah.
1: and and just to give you, not trying to be graphic, but giving you a few examples of why this was such a pivotal moment in Chinese history. I mean, we're talking baby bayonet practice right. where they would literally throw Chinese babies up in the air and pra- Japanese would practice their bayonet right. skills public beheadings, I mean, thousands of rapes with Chinese girls and women done by Japanese soldiers, live human dissections on Chinese citizens. Unit 731. Yeah, just...
0: Yeah, think of, like, uh, for our listeners, like, uh, Japanese Nazi scientists, mangalists over to stuff. Yeah, really horrible. And so
1: part of the reason that the Chinese couldn't effectively fight back is because they'd been in this, like, chaos system from, like, 1916 forward, so they didn't have that modern Mm -hmm. military that Japan had been working on since the Meiji Restoration. Right.
0: And we've even seen with regards to the Russians in World War One, like if you have something there, just something you can push back and and then you can reform yourself. Right. So not to say that the Russians were anything great uh, leading up to or through World War One or in in the aftermath of it when they bow out but at least there was something there it right. sounds like china is literally devoid of any really solid structure. Oh they have.
1: And part of the reason that is is because Chiang Kai-shek did not direct the full resources of his military against the Japanese. He, okay.
0: So I've got a question for you. Yeah, go so for I've it. been I've been dying since you said Chiang Kai-shek. So I had this uh, history teacher my AP European History teacher when I was in high school. So mm-hmm. this is like for our listeners the year is 2000 uh, when I Oh learned. boo freaking who <laughs> I'm getting old. I've got a uh, gray hair in my beard. Um But uh, Mr. Peters was his name, and Mr. Peters used to always refer to Chiang Kai-shek as cash my check, right? And Mm -hmm. he said that that had to do with, if I'm remembering this correctly, and and Peters used to wander around, um, but had to do with military aid and how Shek was basically misusing or misappropriating the money. Oh, totally. Okay. Without a
1: doubt. Corruption's always going to play a role in in when governments fail, and he totally was. Um, And he also was using part of his money. To fight Chinese communists.
0: Oh, okay. So he's okay. So he's got two fronts out because I exactly. forgot about the communists. The communists are still there. It's a civil war.
1: And so the Chinese people are like, "What are you doing? Why are you fighting our own people when the Japanese are committing these tremendous atrocities against right. our citizens?" And I think a lot of Chinese people could not understand why Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists simply couldn't walk away from the communists at that point direct all their attention towards the Japanese, so further abuses didn't occur. But Chiang Kai-shek did not do that. He fought a two-front war. And
0: that makes more sense now that I think about it from the American perspective, cash my check, because why aren't you helping us with the Japanese because we got World War II on the horizon. All right, so he's... So he's corrupt, but he's also in a bad spot. Oh, he's totally in a bad so, spot. So he's he's got to fight this two front war. Mm-hmm. He's got to fight against his own people. He's got to stop the atrocities of the Japanese, and he's getting pressure, political pressure, from one of the world's major powers. Oh as yeah, because well.
1: United States, they the United States wants China to stop the Japanese, and there's a long backstory about like the Washington Naval Conference. Right. United States has not treated Japan very well, no. and so Japan's mad, and and they're coming back right. for us. And so if China could stop the rise of Japan then maybe the U.S. is in a little less danger, and so that's why the U.S. was supporting Chiang Kai-shek.
0: All right, so is he a sympathetic figure for us, or is he just a guy?
1: I think he's a guy. I think it's really hard to be sympathetic to someone okay. who who is being played more by money than... By the needs of his people But at the same time I'm not sure anyone else Would have done any better
0: Fair assessment Okay
1: So um, And then you know World War War II happens And the Japanese get involved And the U.S. declares war And we know the end result Of World War II The Japanese lose (laughs) Yeah I know Really really bad More fun stuff I know Um, And so China's In 1945 Kind of left in a little bit Of a lurch They didn't necessarily lose a lot of territory because they gained a lot of territory back that they had lost from Japan, but at the same time, they still have no political system. They're not organized in any way, shape, or form. And there are two main groups still fighting each other to gain control of China, the nationalists Nationalists and the the communists. communists. Okay. And it is going to take... Four more years for that civil war to finally end. And the amount of destruction and death that occurs as a result of this is really staggering in China.
0: Right. I mean, we're talking 38 years of continuous war. Yeah. math is correct, I wish Mr. St. France hadn't left the room. I know, right? That this was supposed to be our math. Inclusion episode, (laughs) great. Um, But yeah, I mean, all all kidding aside, this is still industrial war, this is modern war, this is everything that we've seen uh, up to this point in time. The destructive capabilities of modern states is unparalleled in uh, human history, so Mm -hmm. the Chinese people have been suffering this. Um, How does it end?
1: Well, it ends by the communists taking power in China in 1949, and I wish I could tell you, I wish I could tell you everything was finally going to be better for the Chinese people and the Chinese peasants and it's just Time. not it's it's going to take the same path really that this the Soviet Union takes after the 1917 revolution oh no Oh yeah.
0: That's so going to be so much worse. Well, we will try to find something fun to talk about as I think we've ended the last 3 or 4 podcasts with hey guys, we'll get something fun, we'll get something.
1: Yeah, we're not going to. Let's really be honest. We we, we gave you a false uh, sense of optimism.
0: I mean, there's got to be like I said, you know, we're we we're talking before the show started like maybe some art or painting or like we could do a podcast where we describe puppies or something, I don't know. What about
1: creative nicknames for the world's worst dictators?
0: Okay, we can come back with that one. If, Not we'll, sure how appropriate that might be no, for a podcast. So. <laughs> 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 well, maybe we'll like figure out some sort of Patreon or something for Stugo, and then people could donate, and then they could hear what we have to say about oh, all Oh, that would the
1: be th- awesome.
0: Now, now we're starting to think of ideas. All right, so to recap, China starts as a dynasty, mm-hmm. goes through an awful civil war, yep. gets invaded- Yep. Bites off the invasion, turns back on itself for part two of said civil war. civil war ends in 1949, and we are now communists, and Mao Zedong is in power.
1: That is exactly the timeline. Right.
0: In terms of our century of humiliation, that also marks, uh, matches up pretty nicely with the Opium Wars and the Treaty of Nanjing and a lot of those 1,800 events that kicked this whole thing off as well. So there's a nice little bit of synergy there yeah. um, for the Chinese. So uh, I think that'll do it for us. I do indeed. All right. Well, this was another riveting episode of Storytime with the Hissarists. I'm Matt Boring. I'm Jen Dumont. All right, guys. We'll see you later.